Hello and welcome to IEEE Soft Robotics Podcast. In this podcast, we are going to interview researchers from Pulse Academia and Industry about their work, salt spectrum, and more beyond that. This is Marwa Edwini, and I hope you will find this podcast useful. If you would like to connect with us, simply send us, and we will be happy to hear from you. And here is my interview. Thanks. Hello. Hello and welcome to IEEE Software Box Podcast. Um, could you please introduce yourself? Yes, so I am uh, uh, Stefano Mincia and I am currently the CTO of uh, uh, Foldaway Haptics, which is a company that is interested in uh, developing uh, um, uh, robots with uh, origami for haptic application, but not only. Um, I uh, come from Pisa mm-hmm. uh, in Italy, mm-hmm. where I did most of my uh, studies. So I am mechanical engineering as a background. And I obtained my uh, PhD at the Biorobotics Institute, uh, Scuola Superiore Sant'Anna in Pisa as well. And after that, I moved to um, EPFL. Uh, I worked with uh, Professor Florian in the Laboratory Intelligence mm-hmm. Systems, where I mostly focused my research on soft and morphing aerial uh, robots. And since 2017, I'm working on the uh, Foldaway uh, project. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very good. So let me ask you, what's the first robot you built? And back in the time, what your feeling and thoughts come to you uh, at when you built the first robot? Yeah, so um, I we built actually the first robot I think it was back in 2005, and it was a very small uh, cubic inch uh, wheeled robot with differential drive. And we built it for a competition in uh, in Japan, in Nagoya University. And um, we were actually a team of uh, um, high school students, and together with uh, uh, Professor Stefanini from the Biorobotics Institute, we actually um, participate to this to this uh, uh, competition and of course has been uh, for us well extremely interesting because uh, we just finished high school uh, high school and we mm. got the opportunity to really uh, work with state-of-the-art machines and start to learn about uh, uh, about robots and different aspects of, uh, of robotics starting from mechanical design electronics a bit of of, uh, of uh, uh, programming mm. so well this experience for me has been very important because then that's why I, I, I decided to pursue my career in uh, in, uh, in this in this field mm-hmm. great so now you have the foldway haptics and I would like to ask you what compelled you and your co-founder to establish the foldway haptics what were the feeling upon this time? It was like obvious or you just tumble because there are many students also want to start a startup or something that is just said and done. And that's why sometimes it's, it's just like you have to think a lot. How, how it was for you, the journey will you, you came today? Well, yeah, that's, that's, that's a very, it's a very interesting question. Um, so, um, actually, um, uh, the company started uh, mostly with uh, an idea of uh, um, the one, one, with um, the co-founder, mm-hmm. um, which is uh, Marco Salerno. And um, uh, Marco, like me, we uh, we we did both our PhD at the Biorobotics Institute, and then we 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 went together at uh, EPFL, but we we never worked actually together. We we always were in, in separate labs. And at the time, Marco, uh, he was uh, working with Jamie Pike on uh, um, origami mechanism, on like kind of Popa origami mechanism. And one of the um, mechanisms that he developed, it was a, a Delta robot. And uh, the Delta robot is uh, very famous at EPFL because it's been invented there by, by, uh, by um, long long time ago mm. and uh, um, 
uh, it turns out that this this type of mechanism and this type of robot is also used for haptics uh, and, and there is a company called Force Dimension which is also a spin-off from EPFL but now is a very established company that use this robot for optics. And the point is that this machine is you know, very big and, and uh, you can use it mostly for professional applications like for surgery or teleoperation of very expensive machinery. And so the idea of Marco was to use origami technology to take this big machine and make it very small and portable. And that's basically how uh, the idea of uh, Fold Away has been, was, was born. Mm. And uh, at the time, I was also working on origami, uh, mostly uh, working on uh, uh, the use of origami to make foldable and morphing drones. And so we decided to team up um, together to make this, this startup. And a very important step for this was also that we managed to um, uh, meet with uh, uh, with one of the co-founder of First Dimension, which is this uh, well-known company in in optics. So uh, uh, Conti, Francois Conti, who uh, actually wrote us a letter of support, and with this letter of support, we applied to our first uh, uh, technology transfer grant, and so we. we we got this grant and we started gradually the uh, the company. Mm. Uh, so at the beginning was not definitely obvious. So there was a lot of uh, uh, different steps. So the the opportunity also of being uh, at the same place, me and Marco, and the possibility to have uh, access to many uh, to many grants to explore how to translate. Uh, our technology, so this origami uh, haptic interface, uh, into um, into a, a product. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So that's leading me another question: When will the actual start for foldway haptics? You say, "Oh, that's it. That's it. We we are successful now. We're just hitting to be around the market and prove ourselves." When will this time happen to you? Uh, yes, that's that's. That's, that's, that's a good point. So um, the the um, we started the project in it was around 2017 where we started to get our first our first grants, mm. um, and um, we mostly initially focused on developing a lot of uh, demonstrator. Uh, technological demonstrator to um, highlight, you know, the, the benefits of our uh, of our technology. Why portable haptic interfaces are interesting. What we can do with them. And uh, um, we were showing them around different conferences uh, uh, and events. And we um, there are at this conference usually there are uh, technology scouters from companies. And this is where we met uh, actually um, uh, engineers from uh, from Daimler, from uh, Mercedes, so mm -hmm. the car, the car manufacturer. Uh, they got interested in technology, and eventually they put us in touch with the uh, show car department mm -hmm. of Mercedes. And they had uh, um, these ideas since long time to um, develop a car with a morphing surface, so on, on the body of the car. And uh, uh, this was a good match for us because we could provide them with the technology, uh, so with, with, the, with the origami robots that mm -hmm. could be integrated on the surface of the car to create these uh, shape-changing uh, effects on, mm -hmm. the, on the car. And so we, we signed a contract with them, and this is when basically we incorporated the company. It was back in April or May 2019, mm -hmm. and this is where we started really the, the company. So we started when we got our first uh, mm -hmm. client. So first of all, congratulations for this uh, interesting uh, concept in Mercedes at CSS 2020, and that's something really uh, cool. And that's led me to the question, why you are passionate about what you're doing? Why I'm asking that? Because sometimes at the beginning, not everyone envision what you see. And sometimes you struggle to deliver your ideas, what you envision, how... Because I think there is no meaningful way haptics 
and the market as uh, you started already with your co-founder. So why you are, you are passionate about that and and how you just deliver the message before you uh, having this grant and and having this cooperation with Mercedes? Why you are passionate? Yeah. So for me, um, in general, is really I'm extremely interested. Uh, in innovate and always try to design new uh, new robots, new machines. So mm-hmm. it's kind of an addiction in the end. And um, uh, Fold Away for me is extremely interesting because it basically gave me the opportunity to explore, uh, if you want, the the field of the field of optics, um, which um, was for me but also for Mark was totally uh, totally uh, new mm-hmm. and on top of that you also I got also the opportunity to learn um, other aspects that are extremely important for startups so about management the, um, uh, entrepreneurship uh, how to deal with patents with clients and so these are all um, for me very very interesting so it's really about always learning new aspects of mm. the product or how do you manage these uh, these uh, uh, these activities why it's so, so interesting mm-hmm. yeah so that leads me to the question because you work in changing uh actuating how you define soft robotics uh, from your experience and what are the most misconceptions? So let's first ask this question. How you would define soft robotics, firstly, from the experience you had? Um, yeah, so um, that's a, that's a, a, a tricky question. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, soft robotics is um, a relatively new field, so uh, a lot of research is currently done there so it's not so straightforward to really find a definition of what is or not a a soft robot um what i can tell you is what i'm why i mean soft robots soft robotics is extremely interesting uh, um for me and the main reason is um uh, because the soft robots uh we have the possibility to give them some sort of uh, mechanical intelligence or morphological computation or embodied intelligence. And this sort of plasticity helped the the robot to continuously adapt to different uh, tasks, uh, conditions, or environments. And this way, uh, they can be more versatile, more agile, more functional. And this is something that for me is extremely interesting also because as a mechanical engineer, I really mm. enjoy to design and understand how design and mechanical properties can make uh, our robots better or more effective to work. Um, and if I think, for example, to my uh, past work, um, uh, this, this idea of uh, um, morphing, uh, uh, morphing robots, shape-changing robots, sometimes has been possible thanks to uh, intrinsically uh, soft materials. Mm-hmm. So, for example, the uh, quadcopters that I developed at TPFL, um, that can uh, withstand collisions. So these have some 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 uh, frame which is which is rigid while flying, but then it becomes soft in case of collision. So the structure doesn't break, but simply falls or collapse. And this has been possible because we managed to to combine like uh, soft uh, and also uh, and with uh, with, uh, with 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 also rigid materials in the. Um, in the frame, like the wings of uh, of the insects, uh, but sometimes it's more like about uh, um, making robots that are kind of extrinsically soft, like for example the one that I that we developed together with David Scaramuzza, that is also a quadcopter that can change its shape while flying to enter inside inside a narrow gap. So it used like a more conventional design with servo motors that actuated frame, but still we have this possibility to change its morphology to adapt to very complex uh, complex uh, um, environments. So overall, I think that I mean this soft robotics is extremely interesting for this. Um, 
possibility to embed some of the intelligence and adaptability into the mm-hmm. into the, the the continuously changing and adapting shape of uh, of the body of uh, of the robot. Mm-hmm. Great. So since you are a PhD student and now you have a CTO that's full way haptics, what are the most misconceptions you saw along the journey that, oh, this is something is really concerning me or maybe people don't understand that very well? What most misconception you can recognize in soft robotics? So I think that, um, I mean, um, when we interact with our uh, with, with our clients, um, um, one of the main uh, um, misconceptions is that, I mean, they um, tend to um, see uh, soft robots like uh, conventional robots. So they imagine that uh, it can do uh, a similar task or it has to be um, um, uh, judged with the same, with, with, with the same metric. And this is, for example, uh, what happened at the beginning when we worked in collaboration with uh, with Mercedes, because they thought that basically our origami robots um, they would produce a very uh, a very very um, precise motion like conventional rigid robots or rigid robotic arms. But in the end, uh, these structures are intrinsically compliant, so they produce a more soft and natural motion, which luckily, it was in the end exactly what they were expecting, because uh, the idea that they had was to uh, create this motion surface to make the, the car uh, more like sort of an, sort of an animal. So these, these robots move some, some flaps, they call mm-hmm. them the bionic flaps, and these flaps are sort of the hairs, the scales of these, of these uh, cars. So having these soft robots helped us really to produce some more animal-like, some more fluid uh, motion, which was luckily what, what they wanted. Mm-hmm. Great. So this uh, next question sounds really interesting. Because you had the both experience, you were in academia and now in industry. So, what are the most important questions that should be considered? Since we working in the lab, sometimes it's completely different from the market industry. And from you have the both eyes. What are the most important questions when you working in the lab and when you transfer to have a product that haven't been answered yet and you considering all the time uh, while you think about? A product of a full way haptic. Mm. Yeah. So if I think uh, um, to uh, specifically the, the questions that uh, um, the short term question that we we have uh, right now, um, in general, is uh, um, more about the um, uh, characterizing very well our our robots, understanding, for example. Uh, what is their um, what is the, the, the durability of our uh, structure? How mm. can we estimate their, their life when they are periodically loaded? And also, eventually, of course, what kind of material can we use to make them more more robust mm-hmm. and more and more uh, durable? Another very interesting question and the challenge that we have is uh, now process of building these origami robots is of course very well established in the uh, in the labs so there are many labs that have the facilities to build them but what does it mean really to to scale the manufacture of these robots from I don't know a few per weeks up to maybe hundreds thousands or millions per week to, to satisfy a demand mm-hmm. for a for a for a consumer product uh, for example. So these are, of course, um, very uh, sometimes technical questions that we ask ourselves. But of course, um, there are also more uh, general and long-term questions that are more uh, for uh, uh, for a lab, for a research lab. So, for example, um, really trying to understand or derive some more some more broad design principle for these robots to really understand. The, when softness is important, how can we uh, specifically integrate softness in our machine depending on the task or the function that they have to, 
to uh, to perform uh, this is something uh, still very interesting I think uh, uh, still mm. still open <laughs> yeah yeah so if I ask you what are the open challenges that Foldway haptics consider or having for the moment uh, the real challenges you think about it recently so um, um, uh, I would actually identify two type of challenges so one is more is more related to the development of our products and the other is more related to how can we bring this product into the market and so um, in terms of the, the product so if we consider for example our haptic joystick mm. uh, this uh, joystick for VR that integrates a small origami robots that interact with the finger of the user and so it can apply forces in motion so it's kind of a thumbstick that push back that we use to uh, interact uh, with virtual objects uh, to make the, the game or the experience more more appealing and 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 interesting uh, so if we think to, to the product itself to the challenge of developing these products is really about uh, really understanding what features are important for the users. So for example, how strong the feedback should be, mm. uh, what is the best displacement of this uh, uh, little uh, robot, uh, and what type of application we should develop, what type of software, what type of VR experience is um, the, the best for the, uh, for the user. And then there is another big challenge, which is really uh, uh, linked to the market, to the VR, AR market. Uh, so how can we really bring this joystick into the market, considering that uh, mm. um, it is a market where there are few big players, uh, very big company that are dominating this, uh, uh, this, this market. And for mm. us, it's sometimes a bit hard to, to I mean, we cannot force them really to, to push to integrate haptics in general into into uh, VR AR uh, experience. So um, these are the two big challenges that we are facing right now. So one one more related to the product, the other more related to the to the market. Mm -hmm. That's super interesting, and that's why I would like to ask you, as you are the CTO, how you envisions upgrading of the foldway haptic or, or robotics since you highlighted there's a big companies dominating so it is tricky for you because you have to envision something i don't know how if you can share what's your thought about this point yes yes so um what we are uh, doing um to improve our our robots to iterate them we really try to um, integrate the feedback that we receive from the user or from the, the clients. So this means that sometimes we have a, a lot of ideas, a lot of features that we would like to implement that also be extremely interesting from a research perspective. But we really try to hold on and to really understand where the user finds value and then push in this direction. So this means that uh, we, uh, for example, organize, try to organize demo session or when we uh, rent one of our joystick into a company, we try to get feedback uh, from them. Mm. And just an example, um, at the beginning, when we started with Foldaway Haptics, the, uh, the, the, the haptic interface that we developed, that Marco started to develop, was this Delta robot. But then we found, we found out that this is perhaps not the most intuitive uh, type of interface for a user, and then we transitioned from the Delta robot to a different type of mechanism, which is called the, 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 the Cranf mechanism, which is more similar to a thumbstick. And this is something that is more immediate for the user to, 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 to work with. And so we really try to um, uh, use the feedback of the user to iterate, to improve our, uh, our, uh, our products or robots. Mm -hmm. So here's a question from competitor, maybe point of view. Why it's important to develop foldaway robotics? Because maybe there's 
some people try not to uh, welcoming a new concept to the product. So why is this important to you, if you would like to answer that? Mm. I think is um, um, in general interesting to develop um, foldable robots. So robots that can, in this case, kind of fold away for questions related to portability and mm. transportability. Um, if you look, for example, at DJI and the market of drones, uh, at the beginning there were all these very big and bulky machines, and right now all the consumer drones are foldable so they can be easily transported by, uh, by the users. And um, uh, so that's something that we also would like to see happening in haptic interfaces. So usually, at least for feedback haptic interfaces, they are quite a big machine, at least the one that we can find in the market. And so by combining origami, so by using origami technology for their manufacturing, we can make them foldable and more portable, and hopefully we can... Uh, uh, use them for uh, portable applications and portable application for example is virtual and augmented reality that usually use standalone headsets and so you have to move around in the room and you know and you need handheld devices not something big and bulky that is connected to your uh, to your desk and in general instead from a research perspective I think that in general foldable and shape-changing machine are interesting to make robots more versatile because there is this strict connection between morphology, functions, and multiple motions. And so by using folding, we can um, make this machine more, more versatile and adaptable. See, for example, how birds, they constantly change the shape of the wing. They fold it not to adapt to different flight, uh, different flight conditions. Mm -hmm. Great. So I would like to ask you, which hurdles did you face personally and how you overcome to bring uh, the company now or to the market? Because everyone's speaking about the professional, but I think in, in the other side, there's a lot of struggles behind uh, hard work to bring uh, your ideas in reality with your co-founder. So could you please tell us more about that aspect? Because maybe some people in the middle of way step back and just lose motivation to a momentum to go forward and prove their ideas. So how 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 you handle this issue if you have already? Yeah. So one of the well, at least for me, a very so quite surprising issue that we we actually found is that uh, um, sometimes um, um, there are kind of too many new technology all at once. So um, for example. The, uh, we are combining origami manufacturing, which is totally new in general, for which is quite new for uh, for the market. Although there were uh, yeah. a few companies making uh, uh, little crawling robots with uh, with, with origami uh, dash uh, dash robotics, um, um, and uh, um, uh, also on the other hand. Force feedback is also something quite new for the for the uh, for the uh, for the market, and uh, um, when you combine all these new aspects, then it's very hard sometimes to convince a company to really mm. use your product because there are too many unknowns. So I was sure that force feedback is really something interesting uh, for the people. They really find value in that, uh, in VR or AR. I was sure that we can scale up uh, the manufacturing of the uh, origami robot to, to, to thousands or millions per week. And, and so this has been quite quite challenging, and so we gradually understand how to 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 to, uh, to change our approach and also to remodulate our our offer in order to be uh, to be perceived as innovative, but not 
too innovative. So to be sure that our 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 our, our robot are not perceived just as prototype, but are more close to what is a demonstration kit or what is a, 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 um, a, 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 a product. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what is being said, how you would like uh, end customers or lay people perceive Foldaway haptics? Because I think the main issue, as far as I see, some technologies survive because they consider the need of the customer or really make connection with them. And it's end of the day is like user interaction with the technology. So how, how you would like the customers or lay people perceive Foldaway haptics? Yeah, so... Um... Uh, uh, quite ob- obvious comparison, I would say, would be with a uh, uh, Swiss company, like for example, uh, uh, which is uh, which, which is Logitech. And uh, because I mean, I think that in the past they really kind of innovate the computer interface, mm-hmm. being one of the first commercializing the, yeah. the the mouse, and we hope that we could do the same by bringing our origami robots for force feedback to you know many interfaces it can be joystick mouse can be uh, uh, controller but you know things are changing very fast so <laughs> we'll, yeah. we'll see great so here is the next question also related about how to ensure that the technology developed at uh, Foldaway Haptics is going to be beneficial to humanity as a whole. Because sometimes we see companies like Google, Facebook, and etc. sometimes it's turned to be bad uh, to the customers, the privacy issue that we also witnessed in, uh, recently, and other issues like that. So how you make sure that the technology developed for shape changing services is going to use for only the good side is something you consider or it's too early to foresee what's going to happen on turning and an opposite direction like bad use for it yeah is i think it's in general a bit too early for us mm-hmm. but uh, i think that um, uh, in general what will become more and more important in the next uh, uh, in the next uh, years is more related to um, the sustainability of our society and also as a consequence of the the product that a company um, that a company is 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 making. So, uh, for example, right now. Many business models are based on the fact that you buy a device that is becoming obsolete after uh, you know two three years, and then you have to change it again. Mm. And so, uh, how one can make um, more sustainable business uh, uh, with 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 the product? Uh, that's something very very challenging that uh, I always keep in the back in my mind to 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 think uh, and see how we could approach that when the company will will grow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So about intelligence, because now there is like we want to integrate robotics and AI and the concept of embodied intelligence, where the body and brain and also taking account the environment playing a significant role. So for your product, how you envision intelligence and fold away haptics product? So um, um, if we think to the haptics or to our haptic interface, I think this is uh, um, uh, really about giving the capability to the robot to uh, understand and perceive the physical interaction with the users and how to to react to it. So um, our robots actually from a control point of view not extremely intelligent. They use kind of standard approach to mm-hmm. uh, to control. They use an, an impedance uh, control uh, control strategy. But uh, since our robots are also um, soft and foldable, it's true that we use we integrate some very basic mechanical intelligence that mm-hmm. sometimes is very, is very helpful because, for example, uh, this robot. 
can uh, collapse into into a plane. In, they can collapse flat, and this is very interesting because, mm. for example, it really helps us to protect our tiny robots from overloading. So when there is a person that is pressing too much, they just mm. fall flat, and uh, that's it. So. Yeah. Uh, even if it's uh, very very simple, uh, this, this 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 the body intelligence really really help us uh, to 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 save sometimes our our robot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting also because you highlighted many interesting points like in the beginning how to make sure the durability and lifetime of the product as well, and also if the failure is happening or someone's pressing too much. And that leads me to ask you, do you think simulation we have now, and specifically about simulation to reality, is helping you to predict this kind of scenarios you have? Since you, uh, I, the material sometimes is, if it depends, sometimes have except nonlinear behavior and not easy to be captured sometimes. So how you predict this kind of really tricky or very important point in the product? Yes, um, it's a very good, it's a very good point. Um, so we uh, would be actually extremely interested in uh, um, using more and more uh, simulation tools, as you mentioned, to really to to really predict uh, the, the mechanical behavior of our of our robots because. I mean, these are intrinsically soft robots. They are these uh, compliant hinges um, made with cotton. So really understanding the, the compliance, if there is some hysteresis or some uh, mm. would really, really help us to also deliver more precise optic feedback to optimize the controller and even predict their, their life. Um, we currently do not have all the simulation tools that we would like to have, of course. And so what we do right now is that uh, uh, we actually performing um, uh, experimental studies now to, to answer some of these uh, some of these questions. But of course, uh, using and developing more refined simulation tool would really speed up a lot our our work and our validation of the of the uh, of the robots. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how do you see the change now from now to start to 2015? And if, I don't know if you have a plan for every five years, we have to adapt ourselves. And it's because you have this experience now in entrepreneurship and that's something I think like competitive and you have to prove yourself in a certain amount of time that you're matching the customer's need and the competitiveness in the market. So how are you changing in the short term and longer term? And how do you see yourself in creating that change as a CTO? So, um, um, we actually uh, recently uh, did quite uh, quite a big uh, change because when we um, uh, started with the company, we were mostly focusing on haptic interfaces. Mm-hmm. And uh, now, after the work with Mercedes, we are also focusing on new uh, products, which is a robotic billboard, basically. So um, um, when we worked with Mercedes, they basically asked us to develop uh, these, um, they call them the bionic flap, mm-hmm. to integrate on the back of the car and to develop morphing surfaces. So under each flap there is an origami robot that moves and produces this very interesting and visually appealing motion pattern on the surface of the car. Mm-hmm. And basically it creates sort of a wow effect on the people because as soon as, soon as they see the car they say, oh wow this, this flap look, look, looks really nice. And we realize that this is a sort of new communication media that um, we could use for uh, advertisement purposes. And so now what we are interested in is that in parallel with the development of optic interface is also how to understand if and how we can use uh, these, uh, our origami robot to make uh, billboards for advertisement. But billboards that doesn't only change uh, color because there is a TV, but combine a change of uh, images with also motion pattern to be more attractive and engaging for the for the user. 
So is in general is very dynamic. So we constantly change and uh, adapt uh, to answer the, the the need of our uh, clients, basically. Mm-hmm. Great. So I'm really interested about this question because you say that you have been leading a mini interdisciplinary project from underwater drones, software robotics, and you say specifically that you have to pay attention to tiny details so that you can, and also have hands-on experience so that you can meet the time constraint of the project, etc. But with it being said, I think that software robotics we is interdisciplinary and sometimes that's happening, that we don't understand different language. For example, when you have a project, it's about material science and inside control and, 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 and maybe simulation. So sometimes people don't understand the project, don't have the same language to understand each other. And which leading maybe to failure at some point because we didn't understand the, the problems. So how you overcome speaking different language since you're working in, in material side mechanical intelligence you say and control and haptics so i think there's diversity here in the in the project or the product mm. i mean you have so how you overcome that yeah that's 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 actually true and um, mm. i have to say that um internally kind of um in the team um i mean most of the uh, people i collaborated with were engineers or uh, or or uh, expert in uh, in uh, in robotics mm-hmm. and since robotics is in general a very multidisciplinary aspect yeah. we always managed to have a quite straightforward uh, conversation i mean if you most of the, for example master students that study uh, robotics they know a bit of mechanics electronics control so this helps a lot uh, in the in the in the uh, communication. On the other hand, when we interact with our clients, uh, that's a totally different story because they may have a totally different background, and sometimes it's hard to properly communicate. Mm. So what we do in this case, we actually always try to simplify as much as possible our explanation really avoid all the technical terms and really we found that helps a lot to uh, make examples and to show really how the robot is working so for example one of the um, issue that we had was really to um, let the uh, software engineers mm-hmm. working and making the animation for the car understand that the robot mm-hmm. has some physical uh, limitation, physical limitation which are due to their dynamics, to the actuators that they select. So it was not possible, you know, to, to move super fast the robots or uh, all these aspects. And um, uh, basically, by designing some. Um, uh, some uh, preliminary animation, some demo. Uh, it was much easier for us to interact with them, and then uh, finally, they. Uh, I think they they managed to understand the the, the limitation, of the, the physics of the robot, and they managed to create in the end a very nice animation for the car. Mm-hmm. Great. So sometimes you could imagine what could be the most challenging problem that could face foldaway haptics in the long run. I don't know if it's like for you, it's like you have to perceive what's happening around you. It's like, I don't know how you make sure that there is no challenging the future for you and you working in the right direction. It, it is it is not easy question, I think, but how you make sure that there is no challenging problems could you face in the future or in the long term? Um, how, how you manage that? Well, it's, 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 a bit, it's a bit hard. So in general, uh, um, if I think, for example, to, to haptics, um, yeah. um, uh, at least from a, a commercial point of view, I think the very big challenge that uh, most of the company are facing is really to identify what can be the real uh, killer application, so the best use case. Mm-hmm. Because the point is that uh, we know that haptics is extremely useful, but the truth is that in most of the uh, 
most of the cases or in most of the commercial application, so haptics is always a nice to have, but it's not really a must have. Mm. So it's always extremely hard to really convince a company to integrate haptic feedback in one of their devices. And so what we usually try to do to overcome these challenges that we really uh, uh, try to uh, always make a demo or to tailor the demo depending on uh, what is the interest of the company that we are interacting with. So to be sure that we can really understand why optic is interesting and see if it's useful or not for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting point. So, if there are, are there any competitor to Foldway Haptics? Who who are your peers? If you can list them, can you tell us who are your peers? Yes. So, um, uh, if we think to um, the um, virtual reality market, mm-hmm. I think that um, uh, there is a lot of interest, and there are a lot of companies that are uh, developing uh, gloves. So haptic gloves. Um, The main, I think, difference with respect to what we are doing is that these gloves uh, are in general uh, very um, complex, uh, although, of course, they provide very rich uh, 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 feedback. So most of the case, they combine uh, cutaneous stimulation with some sort of kinesthetic feedback. So you have the sensation of grasping the objects or feeling the, the textures and so on. Uh, we follow a bit of a different approach. So we are actually trying to make simpler uh, haptic interfaces with less uh, degrees of freedom that, mm-hmm. however, can be integrated on uh, existing hardware. So we can integrate them into a joystick. So we make this thumbstick for the joystick. And so these help us to uh, be um, more accepted by uh, by by uh, by the user that uh, it's basically using the same equipment that is using that that is already using basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great. So, which demographic regions are really interested in that technology since you started? Is there like a statistics you follow up uh, who really really showing interest or investing rather than Mercedes company? Mm. Yeah, so, um, well, for the moment, most of the activity that we've done was related to the VR, AR, and there the, the, the big market is mostly in the US, but also in, in Asia, mm-hmm. uh, so Korea and, and Japan. Yeah. So this is where we, I think, put most of our, uh, most of our uh, efforts in uh, interacting with company or going to... Uh, conferences or events to, to promote our our technology. Mm-hmm. That's super interesting also because I just read that, that Europe may be behind that because US and China, Japan, Korea are really interested in this kind of uh, technology all, all over robotics and AI. And do you think this is kind of a struggle for you because there's no ecosystem, not enough funding for you? Or this is something uh, because it's a challenge. I think if you if you correct me or not. Mm. So um, I would say that here in Switzerland we are very lucky uh, mm. because there is actually a, a strong support uh, for for startup, at, uh, especially at at the beginning. Uh, there are a lot of grants that uh, really help to explore the market and to push forward the technology outside the, the lab. But this, of course, may not be the case in other uh, in other places. So yeah. that's why I would say that here we've been extremely lucky because we really got the opportunity to apply to, to many grants that yeah. really sustain us for the first two years, two years and a half was uh, the time until we we got our first client mm-hmm. yeah so how, how you predict the, the growth of the company like a linear exponential you have this prediction how the growth would be so it's 
um, it's a bit hard to uh, to predict. Uh, I, I would say. Um, so for the moment, we uh, try to, to 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 differentiate our strategy. So on the one hand, there is these haptic interfaces, where I think the growth could be exponential, mm-hmm. but chances of success are. I would say lower or doesn't really depend on us because it really depends if a big company like uh, uh, Oculus or Magic Leap would be interested in, te- in integrating uh, our haptic in, uh, our tiny robots into one of their joystick on one of the products. And so on the other hand, we are also focusing now on the development of these billboards and these robotic billboards following the collaboration with Mercedes for advertisement purpose. This is where instead we envisage a more linear growth, but uh, uh, some things that is a bit more predictable and we can directly manage by, by ourselves without waiting for this big company to get interested into haptics or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with that all that we say that, do you think ego is important for a researcher or CTO, I think this concept applies to any rule. Do you think ego sometimes is important? Well, I'm not not really sure about ego, but in general, I think that you need a lot of self-confidence and also perseverance to to succeed Mm. because I mean, it's true that there are many times that the paper, a proposal, or a client is kind of uh, not happy with what you've done, and yeah. you, you don't get your uh, a positive feedback. But I think it's still really very important to pursue towards your your objective, and so you you keep in 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 perseverating, basically. Mm-hmm. That's uh, also great. So uh, now we have this cooperation with Mercedes. I, I I don't know if you have any future cooperation uh, or something you're planning, or it's confidential. It's we we are working on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> confidential. Okay, I I understand. I understand. So how will you make sure all the things are going in the right direction? Where in the future, with when you cooperate, how will you make sure so, this is like a feedback for yourself? Yes, so what we try to do is always to define milestones mm. and uh, metrics to evaluate if the milestone has been uh, achieved or not. Yeah. Uh, of course, what is always difficult is to <laughs> properly define these, these milestones. So this is always a challenge, but it's really what we try always to do even when we eventually want to hire a new person, we really define the, the the objective that he has to accomplish in a certain amount of time for, for evaluation and to give feedback, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So here is a question about robotics, because some people are really concerned in general that robots would lead to social inequality. And as you can see that every leader's company in robotics or tech is based on capitalism. And people outside robotics or digital sector will be affected by this kind of um, advanced robotics. So do you think robotics, as a general question, would lead to social inequality since many jobs will be taken and we and one time shocked that we losing many jobs and many people suffering? Do you think this could happen? And is this also applied to fold away haptic in this scenario or we are not included in this game? Mm, um, yeah, so um, I think that um, in general, yes, there is, there is this, this, this risk. It's, it's, mm. it's existing yeah? because, uh, I mean, if you think, for example, to the Internet and e-commerce, uh, this has been uh, a source of social inequalities because, I mean, many small shops are closing because we are purchasing everything from the Internet because it's, it's simpler, faster and whatever. Yeah. And I think that robotics could be really a potential source of inequalities. So that's why I think it should be a really strong push from uh, policymakers and politicians to um, prevent the exacerbation of inequalities that unfortunately Mm. already exist and are becoming more and more important. On the other hand, if I see history um, as an indicator, 
uh, well, in general, more jobs are being created uh, when a new technology is coming. Mm. Um, and so I think that, yeah, so we have to keep an eye on this, on this, on this, uh, on this problem and the next five, 10 years would be extremely important for, uh, for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of fold away and impact of fold away and social inequalities, it has to be seen. I mean, it really depends what would be the product that we develop. But for the moment, for us, it's always important user interaction and human in the loop. And so I think that uh, our technology is still very kind of human and user centric, I would say. Yeah, yeah. So getting back to some question about you as you rule in the company, if you argue with your employee, how you would handle it? Because I think this one of the, I think the chemistry when you work with your coworker and you share the same ideas and vision, sometimes it's tricky when you didn't get along with your employee or you have argument. So how you, how you handle this kind of scenario if it happened? Um, well, yeah, it's usually kind of tricky if it happens, but uh, I mean, usually it's extremely important to um, to to talk uh, with with the other people, have a very fair and sincere discussion, mm-hmm. and sometimes if it doesn't work, it's always very interesting to probably bring in a third person, which usually act. As, as a mediator, uh, if really there are a lot of troubles, uh, this is uh, uh, one approach that we found uh, mm-hmm. uh, working quite, uh, quite, uh, quite well. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's a good answer. So what you would like to accomplish for this year and the next year for your goal as CTO of the company? What's your goal? Um, so, yeah, as I mentioned, as I mentioned quickly before, now we are um, a bit differentiating our, our our activity. So it's not only about haptics, but it's also about uh, um, uh, the robotics part. So, and specifically with the development of these uh, um, uh, billboard, with these robotic billboards, following the work that we have done with uh, with Mercedes. So the goal in the short term would be really to understand if uh, um, there is a market opportunity for mm. these, these robotic billboard and try to understand uh, which company could be interested in, in this. So, so when you would expect this uh, uh, this technology to get and Mercedes would be come to the market? Do you foresee which year we can have this kind of car and the concept uh, that demonstrated at CS twenty twenty? So, for the car, I think that what they did was mostly really a show car to mm. show to demonstrate and to present. Uh, a vision. So this morphing technology for cars, I think mm. it's really, really f- far away. But you have to think that for for them and also the way they presented the car, these morphing surfaces uh, were considered as a sort of a communication media because uh, mm. they really allowed the, 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 the user to interact or to understand basically what the car is saying and what the car is doing. Mm. And so to this end, I think that really the, the possibility to use these flaps uh, for advertisement or in communication, I think that's something that uh, maybe could happen in the next couple of years. And yeah. I think it's, it's feasible. Yeah, but, but the car was very fascinating. I like the car, just like from science fiction or something. This is a real car or it could be anyone can use it in the future or it's just something for show? Well, it was something, uh, it was mostly something for, for a show and mm. to, to, to really, um, uh, I think, present the vision mm-hmm. of what would be the car of the future. So a car that uh, uh, it's not kind of uh, controlled uh, by the user in a traditional way with interfaces, but it's really a symbiosis between 
the driver and the cars, which became sort of uh, uh, a living beings. And so uh, as a part of this uh, idea, the, the, the morphing surfaces, it's like kind of, you know, like the hairs of an animal or, or, or the scales of an animal. So they can uh, uh, transmit some information and emotions to the, to the driver or to the people passing by near the car. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So do you have any robots at your home? Um, yes. So I, I uh, worked for a long time with roads. And now this year, I finally couldn't resist to, to buy uh, the new uh, DJI uh, Mavic mm. Mini. And it's, it's really a, an interesting machine because mm. I remember when I started my postdoc in area robotics just four or five years ago, V6. Uh, I mean, these advanced features were only available in advanced and bulky lab prototypes. And now they are available for, for everyone and into a format that really fits into your pocket. So it's been really, really an impressive uh, development there. Mm-hmm. Is there any robots you wish to have in your home? Something you imagine uh, from the future? I would have something like we don't have yet, but you you could imagine. I need this kind of robot my home at my home. Yeah. Is there any uh, in, the, in the in the home? Yeah, you could imagine. I want uh, cooking or cleaning or something. Yeah, you imagine. I don't know, but I'm asking. Yeah. Uh, no, I think that um, I mean. At home, I'm quite fine, but I think that there will be in the next year more and more needs of robot mm. outside uh, our uh, our uh, our houses of our working environments because there are several places that still remain hard to access or inaccessible to to humans mm. that uh, need to be to be to be explored and especially with all these. Um, uh, climate changes, uh, so having robots that could really uh, uh, monitoring uh, all these events more accurately, uh, this would become more and more important. So really, maybe not robots for my home, but maybe robots for the environment, for monitoring and maintaining our our ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is, we are closer to the end. So I would like to ask you, since you have been in an academia for quite a time, and now you're starting this company with your co-founder, it's like you find your purpose or call because it's you enjoy what you're doing. And and I would like to ask you, what makes you excited every day when you go to the office? And do you really find that you find your call or your purpose in your life in general? Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, it's it's really about having the possibility to uh, create uh, always new 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 machines, new new robots. Mm. So I really love the idea of uh, uh, innovating uh, and uh, uh, making new making new device. And of course, sometimes it's very frustrating because mm. maybe one out of out of out of 10 of 10's work, but uh, yeah, it's it's extremely fascinating. It's always challenging, and this is what uh, mm-hmm. drove me forward, basically. Great. So if anyone now wants to join Foldaway Haptics, do you think a PhD is a must for joining the company, or? Um, no, I would not say that. I mean, we have worked with a lot of very talented master student, uh, they uh, really did uh, a, good, a good job. I don't think a PhD is strictly necessary, although, of course, um, if there is a very specific uh, um, uh, a very specific work or, or a very specific topic, then some, sometimes uh, PhD are very well um, prepared, especially if they obtain the PhD on this on this topic. Mm. So I would say that it really depends on the type of job that we will will offer in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the last question is: I would like to ask you, what is the best advice was given to you, and was it personally or professionally, and was like a life changing for you? Mm. 
I would say that um, it was not like a single advice. Um, I, I really got the opportunity to work with um, uh, many uh, good advisors, mm-hmm. and uh, and so every time the, the the feedback that they gave me really helped me to improve. And uh, but I think the big change is I really understood mm-hmm. how to listen and how to really accept criticism in order to move uh, to move uh, uh, forward so that's really what changed um, my 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 personal and professional uh, career basically. Mm-hmm. I can't agree more with that yeah so do you have any final words you'd like to share with the audience about uh, soft robotics community if you have any words final words mm. Yeah, well, uh, I think that is uh, very interesting and it's a very, uh, it's a field that is growing uh, extremely fast. And I think that what is interesting is that um, um, we have so many new uh, technologies, so, so many new actuators, so many new sensors. I think what would be interesting to understand is how can we really um, uh, make them uh, useful. So, so far, it's really about showing what are the features and always uh, creating new capabilities in these, uh, in these technologies, but how can we really combine them together uh, and deploy them in the field or deploy or use them to make, to make a product? I think this is really something exciting that uh, uh, we'll, we'll see more and more in the next, uh, in the next years. Great. So at the end of the podcast, I would like to thank you. And on behalf of IEEE Soft Robots TC, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.